Listener Production. How do we test sunscreen? The guinea pigs getting sunburnt for science. I'm Dr. Sophie Calabretto, and this is The Science Briefing, a podcast about the science of everything. We're no strangers to sunscreen here in Australia. As kids, we're taught the valuable lesson of slip, slop, slap. But how do we know what's on the shelf will actually keep us safe from the sun? Today, I talked to Cosmos magazine journalist Ellen Fidian about sunscreen testing and why we have to burn to know that it works. So we're talking about testing sunscreen on humans. I have to say, this isn't something I've given like a huge amount of thought to before. Give us a bit of a glimpse into what goes on in this world. Yeah, I think it's interesting to note, like the bottle of sunscreen you're using represents hundreds of hours of testing, um, human volunteers getting covered in sunscreen and then having UV light shone on them to test. And also so much work from sunscreen manufacturers and scientists figuring out that the sunscreen's actually doing the thing that it says it's doing. I'm going to get into all the ins and outs of sunscreen testing, but the thing that I found the funniest while I was writing this story for Cosmos is that part of the testing process includes water resistance. Mm -hmm. In order to claim that a sunscreen is water resistant for four hours, you have to sit in water for four hours and then still have the sunscreen working (laughs) as well at the end of it. They get test subjects to sit in spa baths in this like very, very controlled, like the most scientific spa bath you've ever seen. The pH and the temperature and the flow of the water is all very, very precisely controlled. How wrinkly would you get? Yeah, I don't know. I guess they have to take that into account too. But yeah, after watching a couple of movies in this spa, you get out and then they test the sunscreen to check that it's still doing the same job as it was when you got in. That sounds great, to be honest. I would totally volunteer to spend four hours in a tub lathered in some sunscreen, like watching Mean Girls or Beetlejuice or, you know, whatever. But let's blow this out a bit. Tell us what these tests are ultimately trying to do. Ultimately, they're trying to show that this sunscreen is going to protect humans from getting sunburn. Mm -hmm. Every time a manufacturer has a new type of sunscreen they want to test, that sunscreen has to be made from a list of pre-approved chemicals from the TGA. So they know all of the chemicals are safe to use on people, but they're testing whether or not the sunscreen actually works at protecting you from the sun, whether that mixture is going to be effective. Yeah. You're testing to see how UV light or ultraviolet light is blocked out by the sunscreens. So UV light comes from the sun. It's what causes sunburn and also more serious skin cancers often. But you can also test for things like water resistance, like I mentioned. The central part of the process is figuring out the SPF. SPF is sun protection factor, and that's the number on your bottle that tells you how much the sunscreen is going to protect you from the sun. 15, 30, 50 plus. But to make sure that we know that this sunscreen does work on human skin, we have to test it on humans. That's how we're going to get the best results. And I imagine that's sort of especially the case for places like Australia, right? You know, for those who haven't been here, our sun, especially during the summer, can be super intense. 
100%. Australia is exposed to the sun in a way that makes really high standards in sunscreen testing and regulation very, very necessary. Mm -hmm. We, along with New Zealand, have some of the highest skin cancer rates in the world. That's for a variety of reasons. One is we're quite close to the equator. Another thing is that during our summer, we're actually 5 million kilometres closer to the sun than the Earth is during the Northern Hemisphere's summer. I did not know that. Yeah, that's the way the Earth's orbit works. Yeah. Interestingly, the Therapeutic Goods Administration, so the TGA, they classify most sunscreens as medicines, so they have oh. to meet a whole heap of really important requirements for that. So taking all of this into consideration, I wanted to find out more about what actually goes on in these tests and what people are exposed to to make sure that what gets to market is actually going to protect people from the sun. All right, Ellen, I love this sunscreen testing. Take us into the room. Like, how does it all go down in there? I got in touch with a sunscreen testing facility called Dermatest based in Sydney and chatted to a manager there called Craig Dennison, um, who helps operate these tests. I mean, the actual method, we follow an international standard. The document itself is over 60 pages long, so yeah. I don't know how much detail <laughs> you want to go into. I think a rough overview would be great. Yeah, sure. Sunscreen testing usually happens in these facilities, kind of like a, you know, a GP clinic sort of style. They'll get volunteers in who are interested in coming and testing out the sunscreen. We advertise and then someone will contact us and just go, look, I'd love to come and volunteer for the testing. And we get them in for a 10 minute interview just to take them through the clinic, just to show them what's happening. There are quite a few medical reasons that they can't be part of it. Make sure that they haven't been out in the sun, that they haven't been ever treated. They don't have any blemishes or spots in those areas. All the usual safety things that we go through. The first step, they get in most tests between about 10 and 20 subjects who represent a range of different skin tones. So from skin with lots of pigment to skin with very little pigment in it at all. They apply a very small amount of sunscreen to the lower back. Then they use a specialized lamp to shine UV light onto the back in very small dots. It comes very close to emulating the spectrum of the sun. It's obviously controlled. We are shining the area essentially the size of your fingernail. They'll do this on both areas with sunscreen and areas without sunscreen to test how the subject's going to respond to the light in the sunscreen area and the bare skin. And then they wait for a small red circle to be visible. So this is what's called the erythemal response. Erythema means just skin redness, basically. Right. So they're basically replicating getting sunburn. Yeah. But what they also do is they can turn up the intensity of the UV they're exposing the subject to. So if the light doesn't produce a response on the sunscreen skin, then they'll increase the level of UV and the level will be increased until the skin response matches that of the unsunscreened skin. Heck! So that's how they get that SPF rating, that sun protection factor. Right. The higher the intensity of the UV light to produce this erythema compared to unprotected skin, that's what's going to tell you the SPF. That SPF, that sun protection factor, is calculated based on protected versus unprotected. After all of this UV exposure, they'll do lab tests to corroborate. They'll also do things like the water-resistant tests like I was talking about earlier. If a sunscreen makes it through all of that, from there it goes to stability and manufacturing testing. And then assuming the TGA approves all of that, it'll get to market. 
Wow, Ellen, I had like literally no idea that this much goes into sunscreen testing. Like this is a hefty long process. Yeah, it's super elaborate. It can take from sort of designing a brand new mixture for a sunscreen through to getting it to market is at least going to be a few years. But although it's a really important process to understand how this sunscreen works on humans, this testing process has raised a few ethical questions over the years. Yeah, let's unpack this a little more. What are some of the ethical conversations about sunscreen testing? Straight out the gate, obviously, you are deliberately exposing people to UV light, which is carcinogenic, so Mm -hmm. it can potentially cause cancer. Like I said, it's a very small amount and it's not over prolonged periods of time. But skin cancer is still a very real risk for many people, especially in Australia. So a limited exposure is still exposure. Yep. On top of that, the testing process is prone to human error or even dishonesty. So back in 2019, the owner of AMA, which is a testing company in the US, was arrested for fraud after fabricating test results for things like sunscreen testing. What? Yeah. And also sunscreen is being applied to the test subject by another person and the erythema, so that redness, is also being judged by a human. So there are possibilities of inconsistency in the data, particularly SPF 50 plus. It's very, very hard to judge erythema from that. And so researchers are interested in looking at potential alternatives to sunscreen testing and whether we need to test it on human skin. What sorts of things are researchers looking at? So there's one method being tested at the moment that involves reducing the amount of UV that test subjects are exposed to. So instead of measuring the way the light burns the skin, they're measuring the way the UV light reflects off the skin. Okay. So it's a much faster exposure period. Um, The researchers say that the sun exposure is sort of similar to the amount you get like walking to the train station in the morning. It's an ongoing trial, so we're still yet to see whether it's going to generate the same accuracy as the current method. And it also still requires a human test subject. Mm -hmm. Another test involves making a skin mimic, so basically replicating a human skin sample in a lab. But it's really, really hard to do this. Human skin's got so many different layers and sublayers and hair follicles. There's so much going on that's very hard to replicate in the lab. Yeah, sure. And on the topic of skin mimics, there's one project underway at RMIT University in Victoria. So most skin mimic projects are biology-based. They're taking a biological approach to replicating human skin. This group of researchers are using nanotechnology instead. So they're doing it with a range of different natural and artificial polymers. They're also using things like silicon to see if they can replicate skin. Okay, Ellen, so we're slowly heading into the warmer, kind of sunnier time of year here in Australia. We know why we should use sunscreen, but after talking to a sunscreen tester like Craig, what were your major takeaways from him about the importance of sunscreen and sunscreen testing? Craig and the other people I spoke to for this story really impressed the importance of sunscreen and sunscreen testing on me. Like it's it's super important that we get the testing right and that it's accurate. But also this idea that sunscreen is actually a medicine and a preventative medicine. We don't tend to think of them like that. But they're medicines that literally millions of people use every single day. And more of us should be wearing these sunscreens every single day. So it's really crucial to make sure that they're actually going to work. 
There's a lot of suspicion around the cosmetics industry and the pharmaceutical industry, you know, the people who are in it for the money. But I think it's really worth noting that the sunscreen testing industry is filled with people who really just want to make sure that these medicines work. And particularly for those of us in Australia, I think it's something that we should be impressed by and pay a lot of attention to. We should take this sort of stuff seriously. Ellen Fidian is a science journalist for Cosmos Magazine. You can read more of Ellen's reporting by heading to cosmosmagazine.com. Also, if you're a fan of the show, don't forget to subscribe. You can download the Listener app to listen for free or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If that's Apple, Spotify, wherever, just search The Science Briefing and leave us a review. Let us know what you think. The Science Briefing is produced by Listener and the Royal Institution of Australia. This episode was produced by Jake Morecambe, mixing by Dave Stein. Our executive producer is Carla Arnold. I'm Dr. Sophie Calabretto. Catch you next time.